now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. In episode eight of the 2019 R&D season, Just Science interviews Dr. Igor Lednev, professor of chemistry at the University of Albany, about using Raymond microspectroscopy and advanced statistics for detecting and characterizing gunshot residue. Dr. Igor Lednev and his team at the University of Albany are now using Raymond microspectroscopy to detect and characterize gunshot residue. Listen in as he explains how Raymond spectroscopy works and the impact it will have on gunshot residue analysis. If you are interested in emerging drug topics, please visit ForensicsCOE.org to learn more about the upcoming NIJ Policy and Practice Forum on July 18th and 19th. You can attend in person or online. This season is funded by the National Institute of Justice's Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Here's your host, Dr. John Morgan. Welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I'm your host, John Morgan, the project director for the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, a program of the National Institute of Justice uh, operated by RTI International. Today, we are going to be talking to another individual who has given a talk at the American Academy of Forensic Science and the NIJ Research Symposium about some of the work that uh, has been going on under NIJ funding in the research laboratory. And today's guest is Dr. Igor Lednev, who is a professor of chemistry at the University of Albany. His expertise is in laser spectroscopy for biomedical research and for forensic purposes. He has served as an advisory member for the White House Subcommittee on Forensic Science and editorial boards of multiple scientific journals, including, uh, as relevant today, the Journal of Raman Spectroscopy and Forensic Chemistry. He is a fellow of the Society for Applied Spectroscopy and the Royal Society of Chemistry and a recipient of the Society for Applied Spectroscopy Gold Medal Award and has co-authored 210 peer-reviewed publications. He's going to be talking to us today about Raman Microspectroscopy and Advanced Statistics for Detection and Characterization of Gunshot Residue. As folks who have paid attention in the last few years, there's a lot of interest in trying to improve the ability to use gunshot residue to detect who is a shooter and who is not a shooter using organic residues. And so we're very interested to see uh, Dr. Lednev's work uh, with respect to how Raman might be applied to that problem. Dr. Lednev or Igor, welcome to the podcast. Hello, John. Uh, thank you for kind introduction. And uh, by training, I am a uh, uh, laser spectroscopist. I have been working mainly in uh, building new instruments and developing new methodologies for different applications, so in analytical and bioanalytical chemistry, specifically for disease diagnostics uh, and uh, for studying uh, protein folding and aggregation. But uh, when I joined University of Albany, our department... Uh, started a new program, chemistry with uh, focus in forensic science. Uh, this was both a uh, bachelor and uh, master uh, level degree. The, our master students, uh, they required research, so I was asked to start uh, research in forensic chemistry, uh, mainly for our ma master students. And um, 
introduction to uh, forensic chemistry or forensic science in general, I received when I went to uh, annual meeting of uh, National Institute of Justice, and I found that uh, forensic science uh, has a lot of uh, potential from the viewpoint of uh, new method developments, in particular using uh, laser spectroscopy, uh, which uh, can be applied uh, at a crime scene, uh, can be non-destructive and quite informative. We practically immediately started working on a project uh, focused on identification and characterization of uh, biological stains for forensic purposes. Igor, did that, that followed on some of the work that you've done outside of forensic science, too. So I assume you, you got your PhD from the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, I see. And I know that you had said before the podcast you had done, you've done some work with respect to Raman spectroscopy of blood and other biological specimens. And so this, what you're talking about with respect to doing blind use in forensic science was a natural extension of your other research work. Right. The Raman spectroscopy has been known uh, as the most uh, selective spectroscopic technique. This is because uh, Raman spectrum represents vibrational signature of uh, material. Uh, Raman spectroscopy is based on so-called inelastic uh, scattering of light when um, medium, solid, liquid, or gas is irradiated with light, there is always scattering. And some scattered photons change energy due to excitation of molecular vibrations in the system. So if we analyze these energy changes for scattered photons, we get vibrational characteristic of material, which, as I said, uh, is the most uh, selective and uh, specific characteristic of the material. So we can use Raman signature both for understanding uh, the chemical and biochemical composition of material and can use it for identification purposes. So uh, Igor uses the term inelastic scattering, and for folks who haven't done work in this area, there's uh, you can have uh, if you think about elastic scattering, it's like if you hit a, if you hit a ball against a wall, it comes back with the same energy as plastic. Inelastic is if the wall absorbs some of that energy, so the ball comes back up at a different speed. And the same thing can happen with light. Usually what happens when you do that is that the vibrational modes, basically the modes of, of a crystal, have particular kinds of uh, frequencies associated with the bonds in the, in the crystal. And those bonds are very specific to the chemistry there. And the difference in the energy between the light that comes in and the light that comes out, this inelastic scattering, tells you what the energy of that bond is. Is that a reasonable description? This is excellent description, John. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is... <laughs> that I actually did some Raman spectroscopy as part of my PhD work as well. So I, I oh, okay. Raman. Today's instruments are so much better than anything I had available to me in the laboratory. But it's been exciting thing to see this being applied in forensic science. So let's think about GSR then, and if you could, you just outline. Right now, GSR is limited to inorganic materials, which is useful to some degree, but has its limitations. Yes, you're absolutely right, John. At the moment, uh, Canon electron microscopy is used for detection of uh, potential particles 
and energy dispersive X-ray spectrometry is used in order to identify uh, elements in these particles. And if uh, lead, antimony, and barium are simultaneously found, it is uh, considered that uh, material is actually gunshot residue. Uh, and you can imagine that there might be some limitations uh, for using this technology. First of all, uh, there are environmental contaminations, for example, uh, mechanics who are working with brakes and tires can have on uh, their hands uh, all three elements which I mentioned present. Although, as you also indicated, uh, this methodology is uh, limited to inorganic uh, type of gunshot residue particles. However, there, there are plenty of organic gunshot residue particles also generated when a firearm is discharged. And in fact, uh, inorganic particles are larger in size and it's, it's easier to find them. As you described, Raman spectroscopy is actually based on uh, vibrational characteristics of uh, material. This means that uh, we get uh, information about uh, molecules, their structure and composition. So we probe molecular composition of both organic and inorganic gunshot residue particles uh, using Raman spectroscopy. And these uh, uh, Raman characteristics are very specific. For example, in um, one of our first uh, publications, we looked at uh, the possibility to link a Raman spectroscopic signature of gunshot residue to specific firearm ammunition combination. Our experiment was done uh, with collaboration uh, in collaboration with New York State Police Crime Laboratory. Director Wickenheiser is our strong uh, supporter. And uh, police discharged uh, three different uh, firearms. We collected gunshot residue generated by these uh, firearms, uh, characterized with Raman spectroscopy, developed uh, uh, spectroscopic signatures, and then Police fired these guns again. We take gunshot residue particles which we never touched before and we identified with 100% confidence from which gun each particle came from. So you see, uh, it's immediately this example demonstrate uh, how specific Raman spectroscopy is. So you use three different kinds of firearms. Uh, my understanding is that you had a 38 caliber and you had a 9 millimeter. Uh, I don't know what the combination of the three, but those were the types of firearms you were using? Yes. Well, uh, in that uh, proof of concept experiment, uh, both ammunition and firearms were different. So we just wanted to uh, look, uh, if you may, uh, the simplest case scenario. But in principle, uh, you can imagine that Gunshot residue, first of all, should depend on chemical composition of ammunition because uh, particles uh, composed of uh, partially burned gunpowder. But we also have hypothesized that uh, gunshot residue uh, chemical composition should also depend on uh, firearm itself because uh, combustion process which occurs uh, uh, when uh, firearm is discharged 
is not complete and it depends strongly on uh, the conditions of uh, the process. So we believe that the caliber and uh, the type of uh, firearm should also affect the chemical composition of ammunition. And this is one of uh, uh, objectives which uh, we are working on now. We are trying to understand what is the role of uh, firearm and uh, ammunition and uh, chemical composition of uh, gunpowder in particular in determining uh, the uh, Raman spectroscopy of uh, gunshot residue. So, Igor, let me challenge you a little bit here because I think this is very interesting in terms of it being suggestive about what's going on. It reminds me a little bit of uh, some of the former practice of uh, bullet lead composition where they're looking at, uh, I think it was isotopic distribution of, of lead within uh, different ammunitions. It was, it was at one time used to try to distinguish one firearm from another. I know you're not looking at that particular issue, but uh, I think it's important in this case to make sure we have a full understanding of the variability among firearms and ammunition types in order to truly say whether this is going to be distinguishing enough and persistent enough to be able to be used in, in practice. And I mean both of those separately in terms of that there's enough differences among firearms and ammunitions, but also that it's consistent enough. Uh, even a particular ammunition type can have variability in it depending upon manufacturer and practices in, in the manufacture of the ammunition. Yes, John, uh, I agree with you. Uh, this is a good point. Although, let me uh, mention a couple of things uh, uh, here. First of all, uh, our approach allows even now to help uh, uh, law enforcement uh, agency to exclude certain types of uh, uh, ammunition and uh, firearm combinations uh, as potentially used at a crime scene. Uh, let me give you an example. If um, uh, there is a short distance shooting, then the victim will have some gunshot residue. And if police collected this gunshot residue from crime scene and they have a suspect with a firearm in his possession, then we can... Uh, discharge this firearm under laboratory conditions, collect uh, gunshot residue, and show whether this uh, firearm uh, uh, can be potentially used at a crime scene. And uh, so we can exclude uh, certain firearm and ammunition combination from being used. This is one uh, thing. Second, in principle, uh, what I told you that we can differentiate firearm ammunition and combination, it's just a demonstration at the moment uh, the power of Raman spectroscopy from the viewpoint of uh, uh, selectivity. However, uh, the goal is to develop uh, alternative uh, technology for uh, identification of gunshot residue, even without a specific uh, uh, link to ammunition and firearm combination. Uh, you see, since uh, we are able to identify both uh, uh, organic and inorganic uh, gunshot residue particles, and uh, we are doing it uh, using uh, much less expensive 
technology, it should help uh, uh, law enforcement agencies uh, from this viewpoint, from the viewpoint of uh, detection and identification of gunshot residue. Yeah, Raman is much easier than SEM and uh, X-ray spectroscopy to use. It's much cheaper, and, and uh, you don't need you don't need a vacuum system or any of those kinds of things to uh, to use it. Right. So you're doing Raman where you're looking at individual particles or some subset. Tell me a little bit about the specifics of your particular technique and how it would be applied in practice. First of all, uh, you're absolutely correct that uh, we are using uh, Raman microscopy with uh, a resolution uh, of about one micron or sub-micron. So we can actually look at single uh, gunshot residue particles. Uh, it is especially easy for uh, organic gunshot residue particles, which are typically larger. Uh, organic gunshot residue particles can be as large as uh, 100 micron and uh, our resolution is one micron, so it's easy for us to do. In our earlier work, uh, we did uh, Raman spectroscopic mapping around uh, gunshot residue particles, and we showed that we can identify and find gunshot residue particles on a relatively small area uh, because uh, uh, Raman mapping is actually not very efficient technique because it takes time. But most recently, and uh, I actually reported it uh, first time at uh, a first meeting this year, we combined Raman microscopy with uh, uh, fluorescent microscopy. So practically, it's uh, also two-step process like uh, current technology uh, where a scanning electron microscopy is used to uh, detect particles and energy dispersive X-ray uh, spectrometry for identification. We use fluorescent microscopy to detect particles and uh, Raman microscopy to confirm its identity. Uh, you may know that uh, fluorescent spectroscopy is uh, extremely sensitive. Uh, single molecule can be detected uh, using fluorescence. Uh, so we can do fluorescent mapping uh, very quickly, and uh, in our work we showed that uh, now we can map about one square inch of adhesive tape in uh, reasonable time, find potential particles, and then look with Raman uh, microscopy for uh, identity of these particles. So this. Uh, dual uh, two-step uh, process, uh, I think, uh, the most close to potential application uh, in real world. So uh, are you doing both of those on the same instrument, or uh, how, does, how is that working? Yes. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, we are using the same instrument, uh, and uh, we are using uh, uh, the same laser excitation. Uh, the only difference is how we uh, accumulate signal, uh, of course, fluorescent signal we accumulate much faster, and we are using uh, objective uh, with lower enhancement, uh, so we can uh, look at uh, larger uh, spots with fluorescence because we just need to find particles uh, quickly. Okay, you've got me confused now because. Your abstract says you're using Raman using a 785 nanometer excitation, which is pretty long wavelength. I wouldn't expect 
to see much fluorescence using that long wavelength. Uh, but you said you're using the same laser to to for the fluorescence. In our earlier work, we used uh, only 785, but uh, recently we started uh, using visible light for excitation, and this is in part uh, uh, in order to combine the Raman spectroscopy with uh, fluorescence. Yes. Oh, okay. And can you shed light, if you excuse the pun, on which constituents of GSR are fluorescing? Because the inorganic wouldn't fluoresce, I wouldn't think, but the, I assume some are the other organic chemicals in particular fluoresce. Is that right? Well, uh, it's interesting, uh, a very interesting question, actually. Uh, from our first experiments, actually, we found that both organic and inorganic uh, particles are highly fluorescent. And even with 785, we saw some uh, uh, fluorescence. Uh, in fact, uh, some particles fluoresce so much that uh, it was difficult to uh, measure Raman spectra because fluorescence interference. Uh, and it's not uh, surprising because uh, if particles are highly colored, uh, then uh, you may expect that they may fluoresce even uh, with excitation in uh, near IR. Now, of course, uh, fluorescence is stronger if we are using a shorter wavelengths for excitation, for example, in uh, visible or near UV region. Not unusual to have fluorescence and for fluorescence to be an issue when you're doing Raman work. I know one of the one of the other applications for Raman in criminal justice is for drug identification in the field, and sometimes you you have a certain opiate uh, actually fluoresce a fair amount and. Especially for some of those field units, they can have a hard time actually uh, working well based on the amount of fluorescence that they're that's being seen. Right. The fluorescence you're seeing at 785, not so much that it's interfering with your ability to collect a good Raman spectrum. Well, with uh, 785 excitation, we see some fluorescence also, and in fact, uh, some particles, especially very dark black or brown particles, they actually fluoresce strongly even uh, with 785 nanometer excitation. To deal with this fluorescence, we actually use um, ATR-FTIR, attenuated total reflection Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy, as alternative to Raman spectroscopy. And we showed that, of course, uh, since fluorescence doesn't uh, interfere, so we can uh, detect uh, uh, with ATI, FTIR, all particles and characterize them as gunshot residue uh, without exception. Of course, ATR is a contact technique, too. So it'd be nice to be able to do it all with Raman because you could do it non-contact. Yes, you're correct. And also, ATI, FTIR microscopy is quite uh, slow. Uh, if we want to use it in, in forensic labs, then we need to combine it uh, also with some technology uh, to find particles. So talk to me a little bit about collection, because this has been an issue that has been discussed in other uh, frameworks for, especially organic GSR, because I've, I've never heard it quite discussed in the same way as what you're discussing it, that Organic GSR can manifest as individual particles. A lot of folks have discussed it in terms of basically a vapor being deposited on the skin and even being adsorbed into the skin of some of these organic constituents, uh, which, of course, raises issues with respect to how you collect that efficiently 
it can be have some advantages as well. So uh, have you all been looking at the collection side of GSR and how that might impact your approach? Well, at the moment, uh, uh, we are using uh, one of the approaches or methods which uh, uh, law enforcement agencies uh, are using. We are using uh, adhesive tape uh, to collect uh, gunshot residue particles. So far, it works quite well for us. Uh, we can uh, easily transfer gunshot residue particles from uh, targets uh, which we are using for shooting to adhesive tape, and it works uh, well both for organic and inorganic particles. And most recently, uh, New York State Police also discharged firearms for us, and we collected uh, gunshot residue particles from uh, hands of the shooter, and we also uh, collected both organic and uh, inorganic gunshot residue particles, no problem. And as I mentioned, uh, organic particles are typically size between 1 micron and 100 microns. So the larger particles uh, you can see uh, almost with naked eye. Uh, and of course, it's easy to see them uh, under the microscope. Try to remember all of the different organic chemicals. Ethyl tetraline comes to mind. I'm trying, there's several others. Is the size of the particle dependent upon the chemical constituent of the residue, or which chemicals exactly from organic residue are you seeing? And are you seeing differences with respect to what kind of particles you might, the morphology of the particles that you're you're picking up? There are some publications on uh, uh, morphology of uh, gunshot residue particles, but we are mainly uh, looking at uh, chemical composition and uh, uh, organic uh, gunshot residue particles are mainly composed of uh, partially burnt and uh, unburnt uh, gunpowder, and uh, uh, some of them contains also unburnt and burnt uh, propellant. Inorganic gunshot residue particles uh, uh, contain some uh, salts of metals, which uh, I mentioned, barium, antimony, and uh, uh, lead. So. Uh, as concerns uh, fluorescent uh, components, uh, uh, we actually don't know, and uh, I, I discussed this question at uh, AFS meeting, and uh, there are some uh, suggestions that it's uh, uh, oxidized uh, gunpowder, but uh, uh, this is something uh, we need to investigate. I don't think there is a literature on uh, what uh, uh, components actually fluoresce in gunshot residue particles. Okay. So you're not picking up stabilizer materials from the ammunition, from the powder? Oh, yes. Uh, this is actually uh, one of the objectives uh, of our uh, current uh, NIGA grant, that uh, we are trying to link uh, Raman uh, signature of gunshot residue to uh, chemical composition of uh, ammunition. Uh, but this work is in progress. Okay. I'd like to revisit a little bit just so people can get a, a feel for kind of the approach that you're taking from a from an experimental perspective. And you have, uh, you've examined the data using different techniques with the Raman and the fluorescent spectroscopy. You've looked at a couple of different kinds of ways of collecting it either directly or from an individual. You've looked at different firearm combinations. But you also have been taking all that data and examining it with various statistical methods so that you can come up with some kind of confidence level, uh, I assume. 
So can you tell me kind of, you know, how you're doing your data analysis and, and kind of what this, this very bold statement you're making about being able to exclude firearm ammunition combinations, what the basis for that is from a statistical point of view? One of the advantages of our approach is that uh, we can provide uh, confidence levels for uh, our conclusions. And uh, when I uh, mentioned uh, that uh, we can differentiate uh, specific firearm ammunition combinations based on gunshot residue analysis, uh, the work was done in the following way. New York State Police fired uh, uh, different firearms for us. We collected gunshot residue particles, approximately between 50 and 100 particles uh, per uh, individual uh, discharge. And we characterized these particles and we built a statistical model which allows to differentiate spectra from two data sets or three data sets, depending on how many uh, firearms we are considering. Right? Uh, so specifically, we used the partial least square discriminant analysis to build a statistical model for differentiation. Uh, interesting thing here is that if we combine in one uh, model, uh, organic and inorganic gunshot residue particles, then uh, a differentiation actually is not as good if we consider organic and inorganic particles separately. And to some extent you can understand it because uh, when you try to combine in one data set two types of particles uh, which are very different then you sort of uh, enlarge the potential variations in this class. However, mm -hmm. if you consider each class which is narrow, then differentiation uh, actually can be increased. So uh, using this uh, partial least square discriminant analysis, we actually built a model which uh, allowed us to differentiate uh, uh, with 100% probability, uh, newly uh, obtained gunshot residue particles, which we didn't use for uh, in a training uh, data set to develop the model. But uh, uh, as you as you know, statistical models like PLSDA, uh, they allow you to uh, estimate error rate when uh, these models are applied. All of that's all that's interesting, mostly from the perspective of there is a method to be able to analyze gunshot residue that takes us beyond the qualitative. So using your statistical approach, we can actually come up with some kind of quantitative analysis that ends in a confidence level and can be used to create error rates within this particular approach to, uh, to GSR analysis. I think so, yes. Well, that's a good answer, actually, because we are, and I don't want to mislead people in the sense that I think these are very, very promising research studies, and I think there's some, some real implications with respect to the field, but there's a lot of work yet to be done to make sure that this is really ready for a prime time in, in, the, uh, in the crime laboratory. So along that line, can you tell us kind of where your research directions are right now? Uh, 
So you're wrapping up your, your NIJ grant, and we certainly appreciate NIJ support for, for this research work, which is really outstanding. But you intend to continue this, uh, this research work. Tell us kind of what next steps you're looking at in terms of uh, uh, bringing this uh, forward. Well, first of all, uh, during this uh, uh, three-year funding, uh, we accomplished quite a few uh, important objectives. Uh, however, we are still not ready for uh, complete commercialization. Uh, we are still working on uh, understanding uh, the Raman uh, spectroscopic signature. In particular, we are working on uh, uh, correlation between uh, uh, Raman spectro uh, spectroscopic signature of gunshot residue and uh, uh, chemical composition of uh, ammunition. Secondly, uh, we are working now with a company who uh, expressed potential interest in uh, developing uh, instrument which uh, would be using our approach. Uh, by the way, uh, we already received one patent and the uh, second patent uh, should be issued in the very near future because our uh, claims were approved. Uh, so uh, we are working with company practically uh, in order to develop software uh, and hardware uh, combined in one instrument for uh, these purposes. And uh, then, of course, uh, uh, the major step will be validation uh, uh, by practitioners using real, uh, real field uh, samples. Well, that'll be really exciting. Are you anticipating that the instrument will include both the Ryman micro uh, spectrophotometry or spectroscopy and the uh, fluorescent microscopy as well in the same instrument uh, in this regard, or are, is that what you're anticipating for the uh, instrument you're developing? Yes. Uh, uh, at the moment, uh, this is exactly uh, the scheme uh, we are trying to develop with company. Uh, the combination of uh, fluores fast fluorescence mapping and uh, identification using uh, uh, Raman microscopy, yes. Excellent. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. I think a lot of uh, folks out in the forensic community will be very excited to see that and be uh, and want to be part of the validation. This is a, an area, and I think you touched on it, and I don't want to overstate, but certainly it is an area where I feel the field is looking to try to get more confidence in the ability to distinguish various, not only different GSR combinations from different firearms, but really even just like having a good good confidence about whether uh, an individual even has GSR on them of any type. And so certainly very welcome research in the field. Yes, uh, I hope that uh, we should be able to help law enforcement agencies with this new technology. And uh, first of all, uh, we hope that our technology will be uh, less expensive and uh, much faster, and potentially it can be used uh, at a crime scene because uh, Raman spectrometers, uh, even uh, Raman microscopes uh, in uh, the portable version are commercially available now. So uh, moving uh, to the field for uh, identification of uh, gunshot residue may actually help uh, significantly because, as uh, you may know, uh, one of the difficulties uh, with gunshot residue analysis uh, at the moment is secondary transfer. For example, if suspect was uh, arrested and uh, he was in police car, 
which contains a lot of gunshot residue already, then uh, it is very difficult to to make sure that uh, gunshot residue which uh, uh, he may have on uh, his hands uh, comes uh, uh, due to the shooting uh, and not uh, as a secondary transfer. So uh, yeah. all this uh, all these aspects uh, can be uh, approached with uh, a portable instrument. Yeah, there are difficulties, of course, when you're trying to do a portable instrument of this type. I know that in general, when uh, Raman has been applied for drug identification, uh, they've preferred to keep the instruments in uh, local police precincts and not actually out in the, in the field, just because it's just easier to maintain them. The other issue that they've had is that the fieldable instruments, uh, in order to make them work well, it takes a lot of good work to, to understand the signatures because uh, generally, the fieldable instruments have poor wave number resolution than what you're doing in the uh, in, in the laboratory. Therefore, you know if you're looking at like eight wave number or something, or even twelve, I think is, uh, some of the fieldable instruments are. You just don't have as quality a spectrum as you might have in the laboratory spectrum. Yes, uh, um, John, you're absolutely correct. Uh, what I would like to mention is that uh, with a different company. Uh, we are working on actually uh, trying to evaluate uh, portable Raman microscope for biological stain identification and characterization. And actually, it works quite well. We tried uh, several handheld instruments which uh, do not have objectives, so they do not work uh, as microscopes. Those are very difficult to use for trace evidence. But portable Raman microscope, which we tested, actually works quite well uh, for uh, uh, body fluid trace identification. So uh, we haven't uh, tried that instrument for gunshot residue, but I think uh, there is a potential. Well, we'll be uh, we'll be paying very close attention to your work going forward, and uh, it'll it'll be really really exciting to see how how things develop. I, I certainly appreciate you taking time with us today to kind of give us a snapshot of where your research is right now and where it's heading. Oh, thank you very much uh, uh, for your interest and for the opportunity to talk to you. And yes, uh, I would be uh, happy to uh, continue our discussion. So our guest today has been Dr. Igor Ledna, a professor of chemistry at the University of Albany, talking to us about his uh, use of Raman spectroscopy to examine uh, gunshot residue, both inorganic and organic gunshot residue. Appreciate all you folks listening in. Uh, please, if you are a uh, listener to the podcast, make sure you give us a lot of thumbs up and positive comments on the podcast platform of your of your choice. And so thank you very much for listening today. And again, thank you, Dr. Lednev, for being a part of Just Science. Oh, thank you. Next week, Just Science interviews Dr. David Rivers about the detection of insect stains and the development of quantifiable confirmatory tests to detect fly contamination of bloodstain evidence. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.